0: Thank you, Cindy. Invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Been preaching through Matthew this summer at the chapel, and we've seen Jesus heal people. We've seen him cast out demons. We've heard the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then he begins healing people again. And crowds are coming, thousands. It's not just hundreds anymore. It's thousands of people are coming. We know when he fed the 5,000, there's probably 15,000 there, counting the women and children. And so we get to this passage and the title of the message is, Come to Jesus. Look at this next picture. We got it. Any of you, Don't raise your hand. Any of you feel like that guy? You're just burdened. You're weighted down. You need to learn to take it easy. Anybody know what that means? I was preaching to a group of students. It was actually the second Ukrainian festival of Christian youth in Ukraine about 30 years ago. This guy followed me around all week. His name was Nikolai. Nikolai wanted so bad to come to America. He had had his application in for a couple of years to come to America. So he was always asking me about the United States. He wanted me to teach him the Star Spangled Banner and the Pledge of Allegiance. One day he came up to me and he said, Robert Shaw, what does it mean, take it easy? I said, well, that's interesting. He had learned to speak English by the ham radio. He listened to the ham radio to London, England, and Rockingham, North Carolina. That'll mess you up. London, England, they have proper English. Rockingham, North Carolina, they teach you to count one, two, Earnhardt, four, five. So all these phrases, I'm sure that he was getting out of Rockingham was Nikolai, take it easy. He said, I know what take it means. I know what easy means. What does it mean, take it easy? I said Nikolai means don't work too hard. I saw him, th- the wheels were spinning. Don't work too hard. Okay, take it easy. He walked off. I said Nikolai, chill out. That messed him up for the rest of the day. (laughs) But what Jesus is offering is an easy yoke, a light burden. And if you're like the guy in the picture, you're walking around with stuff you aren't supposed to be walking around with. So I got good news for you this morning. Let's look at chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for in this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So at that time, he starts chapter 12 with the same phrase, at that time. What's he talking about? At the occasion that he was in, he's teaching the people that are following him. So what's the occasion he's in? What has he just done? If you go back to verse 12 of chapter 11, You see Jesus pronouncing judgment or denunciation. He said, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And he goes on in names, Chorazin and Bethsaida and and, uh, Capernaum. And he even compares them if the same miracles that they have seen in these Jewish cities had happened in Tyre and Sidon or even in Sodom. They would have repented a long time ago. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So what's Jesus talking about? Jesus is saying, you have been in the presence of Almighty God. You have seen miracles take place. You've watched me heal people of every illness and disease. You've seen me cast demons out. You've heard me teach. They've been in the presence of Jesus, and they were indifferent. It had not changed their life. And the fact that he even mentions Capernaum, that was kind of the base of operations. Capernaum saw more miracles than any other city around there. Capernaum heard more teaching of Jesus than any other city around there. It's where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's where he taught so much in the synagogue. They had been in the presence of Jesus, and yet they were indifferent. What causes indifference? Well, one, you miss the miraculous. You miss the miraculous. Miracles can take place all around you, and you miss it. It goes in one eye and out the other, so to speak. What I'm preaching to you today, church, is this. Don't let the power of God be all around you and be indifferent to it. So you miss the miraculous. Or you accept a cheap substitution. These folks, many of them had accepted religion. And Jesus had had been so blunt in his denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees. He's even said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying right to their face, what you've got is a great dose of religion. What you need is to come to me. And the reason they're indifferent is they thought they already had what they needed. If you've got a good dose of religion and people have taught you that's all you need— even though you're empty inside, even though it's frustrating, you think, "I don't need anything else." So indifference comes from missing the miraculous, accepting a cheap invitation, or maybe even just to these day and age, forgetting your past. I don't want you to spend a lot of time looking over your shoulder at how bad you used to be, but every now and then you need to be reminded of the mercy and grace of God, that God is not treating you the way you deserve to be treated. That's mercy, not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. So let's, let's take a lesson from the churches that he pronounces the denunciation on. And at that time, we see Jesus offer a prayer to God. In fact, he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. The word praise in most translations I've looked at is the word thanks. And so what's the difference in praise and thanks? It's really he's thanking God for what he's done. I'd always heard you praise God for who he is. You thank him for what he's done. And so Jesus is praying, and the disciples are hearing this prayer. And you don't hear many of Jesus' prayer. We hear often about him going away to a quiet place to be alone and pray. A couple of times at least we hear the prayer that Jesus is offering. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, "I'm, I'm so glad the wise and intelligent aren't coming to Christ or coming to me. But he's, he's actually saying, but you've revealed it to babes, literally infants, not talking infants. So what's he saying? The wise and intelligent didn't know they needed the Savior. They didn't know they needed what Jesus was offering them. They didn't know they needed any more entrance into the kingdom of heaven. For a Jew, the reason they were going to go to heaven is because they were God's chosen people. The reason the Jews were going to heaven is they were children of Abraham. And Jesus said in on one occasion, listen, now we can rise up, raise up children of Abraham out of these rocks. You've got to follow Christ, and that's why he says, you must come to me. So he's hidden these things. Literally, he's concealed these things. And we even see Jesus, when he, when he teaches in parables, at times he has to step back and explain the parable because the religious people just didn't get it. So He had to explain it to them. So you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. It's easy to hide something from somebody that's not looking for it. And the, the religious leaders weren't looking for it because they thought they had what they needed. But you've revealed it to infants. You've literally taken the cover off from the infants, from the babes. Babes are totally dependent on others. Anybody got a baby in your house right now? I went and visited my two-month-old grandchild a couple of weeks ago, and he is totally dependent. Somebody's got to change his diaper. Somebody's got to prepare food for him, either to nurse or a bottle. You've got to change his clothes. You've got to help him go to sleep. You've got to give him baths. He's totally dependent. That's how we come to Christ. We don't come to Christ with something in our hands and say, is this good enough? Because nothing we brought with us is good enough. But what's been opened and revealed is the kingdom of God is available to those who come just like they are. So Jesus says, yes, Father, in this way it was well-pleasing in your sight. It's well-pleasing because the gospel of grace pleases God. Why? Because it brings all glory to himself. If there was something we could claim that we have done to earn salvation, then God doesn't get the glory. Who gets the glory? We do, because we did it. So you come empty-handed before God, acknowledging, I have nothing to bring that earns me salvation. But you've revealed it to babes. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So how are we going to know God? We're going to know Him because the Spirit of God reveals Him, where Jesus reveals Him. So that's the prayer of Jesus. But I want you to see the divinity of Christ. This is going to upset the Jews that are listening. The divinity of Christ. All things have been handed over to me. Three indications in this verse of the divinity of Christ. Number one, all things have been handed over to me. All power, all authority, all sovereignty has been handed over to me by the Father. So Jesus is truly, fully God, fully man, a concept the Jews didn't get. And keep in mind, Jesus has been prophesied over 300 times in the Old Testament. So when the Jews rejected him, they were rejecting the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. They didn't get it because they thought they had it, even though Jesus was plain when he spoke to them. So first first indication of divinity of Christ is all things have been handed over to me. Then he says to me by my Father. He's claiming equality with God. Why? Because he was equal with God. He was part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A Jew would never refer to God as my God. They may refer to him as our God nationally from the country or the fact they were Jews, but there was never a personal, intimate relationship with the Father. And that's what Jesus is claiming when he said, they've been handed over to me by my Father. And then the knowledge of the Son and the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Son, to recognize, to be fully acquainted with, except the Father. Nor the Father except the Son. And then listen, and anyone who chooses to reveal Him. So John 1.8 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So Jesus came to tell us about the Father. Nobody knows the Father except the Son. Nobody knows the Son except the Father and those who Jesus has chosen to reveal. Him. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the light of the world, to show us the Father. And so Jesus knows the Father, and, and no one knows the Son. So the third indication of divinity is that he knows, has knowledge of the Father. And Jesus has taken the lid off, the cover off of who God is. And then the great word, come to me. I think this is really the first invitation. Jesus has been preaching, he's been expecting repentance But Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do in response to the preaching that you've heard, the teaching, the miracles. Come to me. Come. In order to come, you must leave one thing behind to advance to another. If you think you've got what you need, you're never going to come to Jesus. But repentance means turning from the direction you were going and heading in an opposite direction. I know I've heard students at camp say, Jesus got a hold of my life this week, turned my life around 360 degrees. Think about that a minute. That means you're walking away from God, you did some kind of holy shuffle, and you're still walking away from God. (laughs) Repentance is 180. And that's what Jesus is requiring. He was requiring repentance of 180. So come. You won't come if you think you've already found what you're looking for. Coming also means submitting to the Lord. When you come to Jesus, it involves a word that we don't like using in the church. I listened to a radio preacher on my way. In fact, this was when I lived in Gastonia, traveling to Mount Holly. I listened to a radio preacher. He said, I just got back from Eastern Europe, and I had a conversation with my interpreter. And the reason this caught my attention and I had to listen to what he had to say is I'd been preaching in the Ukraine not long before that. And I had an interpreter. I had this 15-year-old kid named Misha. Misha got on my nerves before we were done. I was there for about 10 days. Misha thought it would be funny one day to come and pour water over my head, out of my bottle. I was near Chernobyl. Our pastor had prayed that I'd come back with glowing reports. Anybody that knows anything about Chernobyl knows you're trying to stay away from there because you don't want to glow or have your kids have eight fingers on one head. But Misha came up to me and was going to pour water on my head one day, and I said, Misha, if, that's, if you pour that water, it will be the last thing you do. I didn't mean I was going to kill him, but I think that's the way he took it. He said, I believe you, Robert Shaw. So this guy is preaching about a conversation he had with his interpreter. And as as, as interested as the Ukrainian youth were in young people in America, we're also interested with Christianity in Ukraine. And so the pastor said, what do you think about American Christianity? And the the interpreter said, well, it's interesting you say that because I've studied American Christianity. And he said that one of the things most interesting is there's a word y'all use in American Christianity that we don't use in Eastern Europe. He said, in fact, you used not to use this word. You used to use a different word. And somewhere in about the 1960s, you replaced one word with another word. Are you interested in knowing what the word is? The word we use in American Christianity is commitment. The word we used to use is the word surrender. Why is there a difference? When we make commitments, what are we doing? We're talking about ourselves. Here's what I'm going to do for you, God. I promise I'll try harder. I'll do better. Commitments. We don't only make commitments. We make what? Recommitments. What's God expecting? Jesus is saying, Come to me. He's not asking you to fill out a comment card. He's not asking you to fill out a commitment card. He's asking you to surrender. To turn from the way you were going and turn to him and submit to his lordship, his authority. The third thing that come means you believe in him, you place your faith in him. If you've placed your faith somewhere else, coming to Jesus means you've now turned and you're placing your full, undivided faith in him. You believe in him what you see, and you believe in him what you hear. He is the son of God. He is God. He is the savior of the world. So Jesus says, come. And he says, come to me. When you're you're tired and worn out, where do you turn? Some people turn to TV, food, work, alcohol, naps. (laughs) I remember being in college, getting stressed out, studying for a test, and I'm just thinking, man, I need a nap. The nap doesn't help me do better on the test. It just means the test is closer to coming about, and I'm not studying. So come to me, all who are weary, those who feel fatigued, those who are working hard. This condition already, already existed. He's saying, come to me if you look like that guy with all the luggage on your back. If you've allowed the worry of the world, the cares of the world, and maybe even religion to pile stuff on your back, Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Sometimes burdens pile up. I think they pile up without us noticing it. Have you ever quit a job or taken an exam, and all of a sudden it's like a breath of relief? It's over. And all the pressure of the job that you just walked away from or all the pressure of the exam that you just took, it's gone because you're not worried about those things anymore. Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Anybody here ever gotten sick and tired of being sick and tired? I remember as a teenager sitting in the driveway of a friend of mine named Tim. And we had just gotten back from a youth retreat where God had done miraculous things. And we had made all these commitments to God. And I looked at Tim and I said, Tim, I want it to be different this time. I'm tired of coming off a retreat, making all these commitments to God. And two weeks later, I'm right back where I was before the retreat. Tim said, let's pray hard. I don't know what that looks like, praying hard. It means you squint your eyes real tight and grunt, I think. That's not surrender. That's, again, that's commitment. That's saying, okay, I'm going to pray hard. You're basically saying to God, God, I'll try harder. If you're here today and you don't have never come to realize that trying harder is not good, then try harder. Because you haven't gotten to the place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Jesus is looking at the most religious people on the planet as he's speaking. Many of them, scribes and Pharisees. They had kept the law. They were incredibly religious. And they piled that law on top of other people who needed to know Jesus. But they couldn't know Jesus because all the stuff that the scribes and Pharisees had piled on top of them. In fact, Paul put it this way in Acts 15. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Paul used to be one of those piler owners. (laughs) When he comes to faith in Jesus, he realized all of that stuff was pointing me to the need of a Savior. It wasn't the Savior in and of itself. So Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Everybody that's sick and tired of being sick and tired, come to Jesus. And what does he do? I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I think about Psalm 23, just the first few verses. Let me read it for us. The Lord is my shepherd. This is David speaking. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The word for soul there is also the word breath. It, basically what David's saying is he gives me back my breath. How many of you entered this place this morning just needing God to breathe life back into you? You're a child of God. You've been following him for a while. But you've let the cares of the wor- world burden you. You've allowed things to make you weary and heavy laden. Today you just need to say, God, give me back my breath. That's the offer of Jesus. Come to me. If you fall into the category of weary and heavy laden, come to me. If you've got it all together, maybe you need to find out you don't have it all together. Because we need to stay there in that utter dependence on Jesus. Because anytime you make commitments, anytime you try to do it yourself, the finger is pointed at you. And folks, i got to tell you, I'm not good enough. And neither are you. If that comes as a shock to you, just keep trying harder. When you finally realize your best is not good enough, come to his best. Come to me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. We're not real familiar with yokes. I've got a picture of one. Is it up there? A wooden yoke. Is it now? Thank you. That's what a yoke is. It linked to... Animals together. In fact, the next picture shows you two animals linked together. Yokes are specifically made for the the individual or the animal that they're being put on. So Jesus uses this illustration that they were very familiar with. We were yoked. Before Christ, you're yoked. You're yoked to the world and the cares of the world. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's his yoke. Make an exchange. Lay aside your yoke for his yoke and learn from me. Literally, come to understand. Let Jesus teach you a new way to walk. So you come to Jesus empty handed and just say, Jesus, I fall upon your mercy and your grace. Teach me. Because I've got to have some teaching undone in my head because I've been following the wrong thing. Come to Jesus, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For I am gentle. I love that word. Jesus says, I'm gentle. And in case you think that meant Jesus was a wimp, that's not what it means. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. You ever hang out with carpenters? They're incredibly strong. He walked everywhere he went. He was in incredible shape. Jesus was a man. So when he says, I am gentle, don't be offended by that word, men. We need to come to one who's gentle. There's a setting on our washing machine at home called the gentle cycle. There isn't a thing in my wardrobe that needs to go in the gentle cycle. In fact, for ladies, they have special bags they put stuff in to wash it in wool Just the word wool That that doesn't sound like it's going to be aggressive. I need, I need borax mule power detergent. I need something that's going to get in there and fight for me. <laughs> well, that's because it's gentle. Jesus says, come to me for I am gentle. The word literally means power under control. You ever been on the back of a horse and realize that horse is probably smarter than you are? and a lot heavier than you are, got a lot more muscles than you have, that are stronger than you. But a horse that can be ridden is one who's gentle. And that's what Jesus says, I am gentle. Come unto me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. For I am gentle, and my burden is light. light." 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So what Jesus wants to do is take you from the picture of one who's weighted down and can barely walk. You're going through the airport with all your carry-on luggage and the wheels quit working. And Jesus is saying, lay that aside. Why are you carrying that? Take my burden. Yes, Jesus has something for you to do. Jesus didn't save you to become a pupitator. He saved you to become a minister, a missionary. So take his yoke upon you. Take his burden upon you. If you come to something other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. But if you seek to serve God with a gentle and humble spirit and heart, you'll, not, you'll find rest in it. You won't be focused on you. So here's the invitation for the day. Come to Jesus. If you walk in here burdened and heavy laden, lay it down. You may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Come to him as, as your Savior today. Maybe you're a Christian. And you realize, Robert, what you said speaks more to me about the burden that I've been carrying. The weight is heavy. And I've taken it on myself. I've walked away from Jesus. I haven't been surrendered to his lordship. I've been the lord of my own life. Turn it over to him. Respond to his invitation. Come to me. Let's pray together.